Hey everyone, this is Mike Skinner. I want to welcome you to the sermon podcast for Sweetwater Christian Church. We are glad that you are interested in joining us as we follow Christ. If you'd ever like to support our ministry financially or just learn more about us, head on over to sweetwaterchristian.org. Thanks and God bless. So my life lately uh, has kind of been centered around marriage. Uh, if you're unaware, in, in less than two weeks, Michelle and I will have been married for 10 years. So we'll be celebrating our 10-year wedding anniversary. And uh, so we've been planning it uh, in the night about what, what are we going to do? I mean, we have a child. We can't just leave him at home. Do you take the baby with you to uh, wherever you're going to go eat or the Texans game or whatever it is? Uh, so the answer is, is no. It requires planning. This is my point. It requires planning. And I am a planner. Michelle is less of a planner. Um, and so what happens whenever we have a, a nice date night that we're going to do or a trip we're going to take is I will come up with all of these possibilities, these events that we could do, these places we could go, and I lay them before her. I say, what would you like to do? So I did this. I, uh, I had about 20 events that are happening in Houston. We could, go, we could go dancing. We could go watch people dance, right? We could go to a musical. We could go to a soccer game, right? All these different things shot down, all 20 of them. So I go back to the drawing board, and I say, all right, here we go. And after 10 years of marriage, I would never in my life have ever imagined that what she picked is the one that she picked? Any, any guesses? Anybody? This is interactive. No? Okay. Uh, so she picked a ghost pub crawl where you go to different areas in Houston and learn ghost stories about haunted buildings while traveling from bar to bar possibly partaking of what you can have there. I have not figured this woman out. <clears throat> it's not there. And it's not just that my 10 years coming up and that we're planning about it in our, in our evening hours. I've also had some interesting conversations with friends and coworkers surrounding marriage, so that's what's on my brain, which means that that's what y'all get to hear about. Uh, now, growing up in the church, I had some, a, a pretty small list of things that was told to me about what it meant to be a good Christian husband, okay? And so the list looked like this. You need to provide and protect your family. You need to sacrifice for them and bear their burdens. And you need to be the spiritual leader of your household and be held in respect. And when there are disagreements that you can't come to an agreement on, uh, that yours would be the uh, opinion that would be come away with. Uh, now, this list and its ideas are pretty well entrenched with me. Even right now, if you're like, what are the, what are the qualities a, a husband should do? One of the number one would be he should, he should make sure that his family's taken care of, whatever that entails. But um, what I found out after I got married is that list was wholly inadequate uh, to prepare me to be a good husband. So here, here was my first clue. Before we got married... Uh, I came down to Houston, and Michelle had just started her uh, master's degree in theology at HBU. And so she would spend her days and nights learning ancient texts 
and uh, learning new theological concepts. She would spend her days learning ancient Greek and Hebrew, and she would come home as a verbal processor, and then she would tell me about all the wonders she had learned about that day. She was passionate, communicating passion for some spiritual truth she has gleaned from some minute passage that she's seeing in a whole new way, or some new holy truth. And for a while, I tried to keep up with her, right? I'm, I'm, I'm a husband. I'm supposed to be the spiritual leader. And then quickly found out I wasn't possible. And this was a, this was a struggle for me um, back then. Uh, I seriously began to doubt my ability to lead the spiritual behemoth that is Michelle McKeska. I could probably think of a better way uh, to phrase that. Now, <laughs> Don't call your wife a behemoth uh, in any context. No, I would ask myself, how am I supposed to be the spiritual leader of this powerhouse, right, who is quickly outstripping me in knowledge of the Scripture and understanding of it, okay? How am I supposed to be a good husband based on the criteria I've been given if she becomes the example that I follow, if she becomes the sage that I turn to for spiritual advice. All of a sudden, that list, while good, started to become as, as efficient. And my second clue, and this is the, the bigger of the two, uh, was even though I was providing for her <clears throat> and bearing her burdens and trying to be spiritually mature and lead her in that way, there were many times that I would find her upset at uh, my actions and attitudes as a husband, um, I would do things that uh, <laughs> would make her discontent as my wife, um, and you'll learn a few of those things later on. But my point is, is that this list, it just, it just didn't cut it. I couldn't just do those things and be a good husband. I, just, I asked her, you know, uh, I wanted to get her perspective of what the church had told her what being a good Christian wife looked like. Uh, and this is what she said. She said that being a good Christian wife was being responsive to and supportive of the husband and tying your spiritual life together in a submissive role of certitude, end quote. Uh, this pair of individuals were supposed to be eternal accountability partners. They were supposed to be encouraging and challenging each other to develop spiritually. She similarly found this list of criteria to be inadequate, if not downright harmful, for how she approached being a wife uh, and being a spouse to me, her husband. There are also other circumstances that we experience today where, say, the, the wife is the breadwinner, all right? And I think it's wholly inappropriate for a husband to feel like he isn't being a good Christian husband because he is not the main provider for a family, because he's at home taking care of the kids. Likewise, I would think it's wholly inappropriate for a wife or a woman to feel like she was not doing her Christian duty because she had to spend time at work. And there, this is one of, of many examples uh, where it just, it just doesn't seem like the list that I was given, what was communicated to me, is sufficient to cover uh, the complexity that is marriage, especially in the 21st century. 
There are times, in general, when a first century understanding of the world and how it works simply does not match the world around us. And that doesn't mean that we don't have any guidance, and it doesn't mean uh, that the concepts that we see in Scripture and in church history are without worth. It just means that they will not give us a complete picture of what a 21st century marriage might look like and therefore needs to be supplemented. To that end, I have a few suggestions. So first being that to be a good Christian spouse, husband or wife, is about exhibiting Christ-like qualities to your significant other. Upstairs, for the last two months, we have been talking about the fruits of the Spirit. And when we talk about the fruits of the Spirit, uh, Vanessa read them earlier, when we talk about the fruits of the Spirit, we are talking about them as if they are kind of indicators of whether or not what you are doing is in line with Christ's will. And I think that that same set can be applied to the marriage relationship, okay? Are you being patient and gentle with your spouse? Are you demonstrating self-control and faithfulness? Are you demonstrating joy and peace? Are you always in a panic? Um, exhibiting those characteristics towards your spouse should be very easy, right? This is somebody that you love, that you care about. But I've talked to a few married people who say it's actually quite hard. I, I say that somewhat sarcastically. It, it is, it's very hard uh, to continue to show that to your spouse. Um, and the reason why is that you can't have a false version of these fruits when it comes to your husband or wife. Uh, you can only pretend to be patient for so long before you blow a gasket, right? It, it, it's going to come out. You can only pretend to be joyful for so long before the melancholy starts to come through, okay? Um, they are going to be there whenever your effort runs out. So this battery predicament is one way that it is difficult, this difficulty can manifest. Another reason is what I, I'm going to call the rock, rotten predicament, okay, which is where you're trying to, let's say that your, your spouse is, is trying to be kind to you, but it feels like it's forced or fake or they have an agenda. So even if you are being kind in that instance, it is not going to produce a, a better marriage because it feels forced uh, in, that, in that way. How you demonstrate the fruits of the Spirit to your spouse is probably the truest measure of how genuinely you follow Jesus because it has to be sustained and it has to be authentic. They see your holiness at rest, right? They see how closely you follow Jesus when you stop trying. Uh, and as such... It makes it hard. <clears throat> they see your greatest triumphs, and they know your greatest failings. So for guidance on how to treat your significant other as a Christian, it all boils down of showing the love of Jesus to that person at all times, in all circumstances. And that is why it's different. And I could probably stop at this point, as in my view, it encapsulates a lot of 
your Christian responsibility as a spouse to your partner. But I think there are two other points that I want to make that are a little less from my theology and a little bit more from personal experience, uh, and maybe a little bit of counseling. So the, the second crucial ingredient uh, in this alchemical mix that is marriage would be trust, okay? Demonstrating that you are trustworthy is an ongoing activity <clears throat> Excuse me. that shows up in many areas of life. And trust is one of those things that actually the areas are fairly independent of each other. And this is what I mean. So Michelle trusts me with our finances, all right? Uh, she is not worried that I'm going to do something duplicitous. Uh, we talk about it and set a budget, and we agree on specific financial goals. And she trusts me in this. She's, she didn't worry about it. And I trust her to adhere to that budget between a very specific percentage parameter, right? So she gets this much a month for books. She can go a percentage beyond that much before we start having a conversation. Uh, it's all very well defined. Uh, you would expect in a contract, but it's all in our heads. Um, so she trusts me with our finances. But yesterday, when I say, hey, Mike had a seizure. He's asked someone to fill in. I said, yes. And she says, oh, okay. Uh, that changes our day a bit. Like, I was thinking about talking about marriage. Are you? <laughs> well, just so you know, I have veto power over the stories that come. And the reason why is because at the beginning of our marriage, and even now, I have to fight it. I am an oversharer, okay? I overshare. It is a, it is a built-in social tick. And uh, at the beginning of our marriage in particular, I would say things in public that Michelle would not want me to say. Uh, and, <laughs> and she would let me know. And I thought, oh, you know, she'll, she'll adjust. <laughs> she'll adjust. And, uh, but what I found out uh, over time is that I was actually hurting her, right? I was hurting her because I was betraying her trust. There were things done and said in a more private setting that then I was taking and putting in a public setting outside of her will and desire uh, in a way that was harmful to her. So does she trust me in what I'm going to say in public? Yes. More than years ago? Uh, completely? Not quite yet. Um, Can you trust your spouse to present you to a, in a positive way in a social setting? Can you trust your spouse to do what they say they're going to do? Can you trust your spouse with your budget and financial decisions? Are they going to stick with it? Can you trust your spouse not to have either an emotional or physical intimacy with another person? The answer to these questions is either going to it's, it, it may create a lot of stress in your life, uh, a lot of stress in your life. I have known people who got a call from their spouse that said, hey, I bought a car today. If Michelle called me and said, I bought a car today, I like just thinking about it right now, my heart's starting to beat faster, okay? <laughs> like, like it, it would be a betrayal. Um, I made a 
I thought I handled it very well, but we were talking about how, how Jesus was gentle when we talked about gentleness, and I brought up uh, the woman caught in adultery uh, and how Jesus showed gentleness to her and that he, he didn't punish her like how everyone wanted to and strategically navigated around the question, what does adultery mean, uh, <laughs> to, to a seven-year-old there. But effectively, it was a betrayal of trust. Um, and that is what we're talking about when these things happen, is that when, when you have your spouse, you need to be able uh, to trust them. And there's a, there's a small aspect of that that I, I just want to touch on lightly, which is that you should also have a reasonable amount of trust in your partner. So I have a, a friend who is, who is married, uh, and this friend is the breadwinner in their house, but their spouse controls the finances. And their spouse refuses to let them see their bank statements, refuses to give them any information about how they're doing financially. And when he asks, he says, you know, well, I, I just want to know. I'm not going to do anything with it. And she says, I wish you would trust me. That, to me, shows, at, at the very least, a level of distrust from her to her partner. Um, there, there needs to be a reasonable level of trust uh, in all circumstances. Um, but also make it tactical. Just like Michelle doesn't always trust that I'm going to say the right things in public, uh, it's because of my past experiences. If your spouse has been unfaithful to you in the past, right, you should feel empowered to take tactical steps to try and present that in the future. Um, I'm, not, I'm not speaking against that at all. And the last, thing that, um, the last thing that I suggest is one of the harder ones, or at least it, I think it takes the, the most amount of time. And that is to be a good spouse, uh, you need to put in the work to, have, to be united, to have unity. Uh, I have a, another, another friend uh, who is married, and I would describe their marriage as of one of extreme loyalty. They will walk through fire for each other. Right? They will be there, thick or thin. But they are very ununited. And that disunity causes a lot of tension and conflict in their life. <clears throat> Some people think that if you're not fighting with your spouse, one of y'all has just given up. Uh, and I don't think that has to be the case if you can find unity with each other. And I believe that the biggest obstacle to unity is communication. Uh, a close second is pride, but number one is communication. I remember when Michelle and I were in premarital counseling, uh, we took a test, and this test was supposed to tell us, you know, what we were going to struggle with in our marriage. And we got the results back, and number one on the charts, by far, communication. And I remember physically laughing, like, like how absurd it was that that's what we're going to struggle with. We talk all the time. We argue all the time. And we argue great, right? We weren't worried about it at all. And I, it's not just me. Michelle and I came out and we were like, communication? It must've, we must have thrown something for a loop. Well, six years later, we're taking counseling in order to learn how to communicate. Um, like that's, that's where that led. And we, we had a good marriage, but it's, we still do. It's not past tense. We still have a good marriage. We, we had a good marriage, but it was, it was not easy 
to figure out how to talk to one another, how to resolve differences in one another. But once you are able to do that, <clears throat> then you can start to talk about what makes you work in a way that your partner will understand. And you'll begin to listen to how what makes your partner work in a way that you can understand. And once you can do that, uh, and you make space in your mind and heart to hold their values right next to yours, to hold how they see evil, to hold how they want to fix the problems of the world, how they define family, and what, how families interact with each other. If you can take their view and your view and hold them in the same space and value them both, really give credibility to the way they see the world, then what you can do is start to move forward with both worldviews in mind. And when you move forward with yours and your spouse worldview and they move forward with yours and theirs, then you start moving in the same direction. Um, it requires a tremendous amount of trust and empathy and humility to believe that how you view the world and how it should be addressed is not the only way. But your marriage will be better because of it if you are able to do those things. And a, a sneaky fourth hidden suggestion, by the way, I mentioned that we went to marriage counseling. Growing up, marriage counseling had a negative stigma to it. Uh, it was one of those things that you did when you were on your last leg. Only those whose marriages were really bad went to counseling. And I would like you to throw that out if that is your current perception. I hope that all of the married couples in this room or whoever will be married in this room will go to counseling when things are good, <laughs> when things are bad. Um, it is not something that you should be ashamed of to ask for help or professional help. It is a wholly good thing for your marriage in any circumstance. And your marriage is going to be the most important relationship in your life with another human being. It's worth the investment of time and money, whatever it takes. You will benefit from that investment. So I thought I knew what it would uh, take to make me a good husband, and I trusted what I had been told and read in the church, but then when I did get married, and I can testify 10 years later that what I had heard was inadequate. It was insufficient to make me a complete good spouse. Being a Christian spouse should, most importantly, look like exhibiting Christ-like qualities to your significant other. But this is very hard because of the duration with which you have to do it, and it must be genuine, or it doesn't really count. Count is the wrong word. Uh, I think effective is a better word, in order for it to be effective. A good Christian spouse is trustworthy in all areas where trust is desired. And a good Christian sp uh, spouse seeks to understand and value the worldview of their significant other so that they can move forward in unity. And a wise person is one who knows his own thoughts and is willing to take advice.